Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm glad to have you with me today. It's uh, been a interesting few days. I think probably by now most of you may have heard that the uh, president has nominated uh, his pick for the Supreme Court, uh, Judge Merrick Garland, who is the Chief Justice of the District of Columbia Court of Appeals. And this has become a, a habit not just Democratic presidents, but Republican presidents, that the newest nominee for the Supreme Court, usually with all, all Harvard Law School graduates to begin with, apparently a law degree from someplace like LSU where I got my law degree, it's meaningless when it comes to the establishment elite in Washington on both the Republican and Democratic sides. And if you're not a Harvard Law School graduate, you're not qualified to be on the Supreme Court. And if you really want to be qualified, you serve a, a time on the D.C. Court of Appeals. So in any case, what's happened is that Mary Garland has been nominated. He's been serving in that position for 18 years. And the hype from the media is that, and from the president, is that he's a moderate. And... Uh, you know, that makes it okay for him to serve on the Supreme Court, even though he was nominated by uh, Obama. Now, you and I are smart enough to know that Obama is not going to nominate somebody for the Supreme Court that would be his legacy on the Supreme Court if that person is not going to be totally committed to Obama's unconstitutional agenda. Now, Justice Garland has had some opinions. He, had, he hadn't written that many opinions in the 18 years he's been on the court. Of course, the D.C. Court of Appeals, a lot of the work they do is, is basically administrative work, uh, settling little squabbles between various federal departments and this sort of thing. There aren't a whole lot of constitutional issues they deal with. But he has been tough on crime. That's part of his history. He was a federal prosecutor. But by the same token, he recently voted to uphold the draconian gun control law in the District of Columbia. That was even after a federal district court had struck it down as being unconstitutional, and the D.C. Court of Appeals struck it down as being unconstitutional by a majority vote. Yet, Darwin wanted there to be a complete rehearing, and he favored the law. So you, know, you always hear him talking about litmus tests. You're not supposed to have litmus tests for justices. Yep, you are. And that test needs to be, do they support the Constitution of the United States of America? And that includes the amendments to the Constitution. Freedom of religion, right to keep and bear arms, freedom of speech all of which have been under constant attack by the liberals in the Obama administration, by the liberals for years, but most recently by the Obama administration. And they have been released by the Supreme Court, restricting, or at least attempting to restrict, some of those freedoms. The gay marriage issue being a predominant one, where basically freedom of religion was struck down, the Tenth Amendment to the Constitution was struck down. The Tenth Amendment, of course, says that any right powers 
and rights not specifically given to the federal government by the Constitution are reserved to the people and to the states. The Constitution does not mention marriage at all. That idea was that the structure of marriage was to be determined by the churches and by the states as to what state interest there was in marriage. That means that the states should be allowed to allow or not allow gay marriage. Since most states were not allowing it, and people had voted in many states not to allow it, the Supreme Court pulled completely out of the air a decision that said that gay marriage was a constitutional right. Just like they found that abortion was a constitutional right many years ago. This was justices that voted for these that do not believe in the Constitution. That believe that they are not just a branch of the federal government, that they are all-powerful. That they can pass legislation, they can alter legislation, they can amend legislation, they can choose what legislation to enforce and what not to enforce. That's exactly what Obama's been doing. The Constitution does not provide the executive the President of the United States with those powers, nor does it provide those powers to the Supreme Court of the United States. Interestingly enough, the Supreme Court was the, is the only court created by the Constitution, and it specifically was given the power to settle disputes between states, to interpret federal laws, and to settle disputes between individuals living in different states. That's what the federal court was all about. There's nothing that empowers the court to even discuss issues like flag burning, the Pledge of Allegiance, the right of the states to put the God we trust in their state capitals or the Ten Commandments in their state capitals. None of this is given to the Supreme Court in the constitutional powers that are allotted to it. Until now, when the Supreme Court has decided to take them on their own. And that's what Antonin Scalia was trying to stop. And that's why he wrote such a scathing dissent on the gay marriage issue. He basically said the Constitution had been tossed out by the Supreme Court. Now, there are lower federal courts, but the Constitution allows them to be set up by the Congress, and the Congress has control of their jurisdiction. And I have been saying for years, if you don't like the rulings of the lower courts on certain issues, then what you need to do is remove their jurisdiction. And that would include things like prayers and prayer in schools. Congress won't do it. Even the Republicans in Congress. Oh, no, we can't do that. Well, you can do that. The Constitution says you can do that. But they don't have guts enough to do it. And that's why we're in the mess we're in right now. And that's why the anger out there among Republican voters is so strong. Because they have seen too many Republicans run for the Senate, run for the House, get elected based on promises that they didn't keep. 
Now, sometimes it hadn't been their fault that they couldn't keep the promises. But the fact of the matter is, is that we have allowed a corrupt system in the Senate to continue that calls for not the constitutional requirement of a majority vote by the Senate to pass legislation, but requires 60 votes for a bill to even be heard and voted on by the Senate. This is a Senate rule. The head of the United States Senate, Mitch McConnell, can throw that rule out at any given time, yet refuses to do so. Because of that, the important treaty with Iran, and it was a treaty, was never even voted on by the United States Senate. So this is what we have right now in the House and in the Senate, and this is why there's so much anger. And now they're trying to turn anger, the press is, and the liberals and Obama, against the Republicans of the Senate, hoping to influence the outcomes of elections in the fall, where the Republicans have a lot more seats in danger and are being contested than the Democrats do. And, of course, if the Democrats take back the Senate and Hillary's elected President of the United States, then Merrick Garland may not matter because Hillary will be appointing at least two to three Supreme Court justices during her term. If we lose the Supreme Court, if the majority of the Supreme Court is the anti-Constitution, and right now you got at least four that are anti-Constitution, Anthony Kennedy, you never know what the heck he's going to do. He was a Republican appointee, but he's a loose cannon, to say the least. And for that matter, so is Justice Roberts, who was appointed by the Bush administration. He's voted twice to save Obamacare, despite the fact that it's clearly unconstitutional. So we have a continuous situation, to say the, the least, on the Supreme Court. And if we lose the Supreme Court entirely, then things like the Second Amendment are out the window. Freedom of religion is dead. Freedom of speech will soon be dead. We will have a runaway dictatorship in this country. And it will be not necessarily by the President or the Congress. It will be by the Supreme Court of the United States, which is not supposed to have any legislative powers whatsoever. So what about... Merrick Garland, he voted to uphold the D.C. gun law. Now, that is extremely important because that law is highly dangerous to the Second Amendment and violates, totally violates the Second Amendment. So I, I listened to his speech today after the president nominated him and introduced him. He talked about defending the Constitution and all decisions by the courts had to be made according to the Constitution. But obviously, he is one of these justices who talks about the Constitution but believes that he is above the Constitution, that the Constitution somehow empowers him to change and alter the very fabric of our government. That's what this guy is all about. And the Republicans cannot allow him to become a Supreme Court justice. All that will be moved if 
Hillary Clinton is elected president of the United States, and particularly if the Democrats take back the Senate. But where there are also discussions about recess appointments and that sort of thing, we'll talk about all that after our first break. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Okay. talk about recess appointments, uh, let's talk about the utter hypocrisy of the Democrats at this point. When George Bush was president of the United States, I'm talking about George W. Bush, all his Senate, once the Senate was controlled by the Democrats, even before they controlled it because of their 60-vote cloture rule, they blocked constantly any federal appointments to judgeships made by George Bush. In one case, they held up an appointment for two years of a conservative Hispanic judge to a court of appeals, held it up to the point where they finally, Bush had to withdraw the nomination. Now they're wringing their hands and wailing about how it is a constitutional duty of the Senate to approve whoever the president wants to the Supreme Court. It's a constitutional duty to at least have hearings on who the president wants to appoint to the Supreme Court. It's not. The Constitution is very specific. The president nominates. He does not appoint. He nominates someone to serve on the Supreme Court or another federal judge position with the advice and consent of the Senate. 
word consent means what it says. The Senate must agree to the appointment. My view is that it must agree to the appointment with only a simple majority. But because of the culture rule, it apparently has to be more than that, and I think that's wrong. And I continue to say that's wrong, even though it works in favor of Republicans when the Republicans don't have control of the Senate. The fact of the matter is, the Senate does not have to do anything. And this is not the first time in our history that the Senate has refused to confirm a Supreme Court appointee during the last year of a president's term in office for the lame duck president. It happened during the Clinton administration. It happened during the Eisenhower administration. The Democrats have been the worst at this. They have been constantly pulling off this type of thing. And, of course, they're not criticized for it. But the Republicans are being criticized for it. And we've already had some Republicans, senators, who said, well, we are at least going to talk to the Supreme Court nominee. That's fine. Talk to them. But we need to make sure that this person is not placed on the Supreme Court. Now, the Senate has the right not to even consider it. And that's what I think they should do. I don't think they should even consider it. Because once they do start considering it, then there's going to be even more pressure being put on them by the liberal media uh, to accept the nomination. Because the Supreme Court nominee, Garland, will be able to give all the right answers to the questions that he's asked in, in public in the from the Senate Judiciary Committee. And that will increase the pressure. So we need for the Senate to hold firm. Not to waver, not to allow the hearings, but to wait and see what happens in the upcoming election. Now, the Democrats are also floating around the idea of the the recess appointment. Well, the Supreme Court has already ruled that Obama's efforts to make recess appointments when the Senate was not in recess was unconstitutional. So what is a recess appointment? What is it under the Constitution? Basically, the Constitution was looking at a situation where the Senate would not be meeting 24-7, 365 days a year, that the Senate could go in recess whenever it wanted to for as long as it wanted to. Same is true of the House of Representatives. Of course, when the Senate is not meeting and is in recess, if the president needs to appoint somebody to a position in the federal government, whether it be a judgeship or department head or something like that that requires Senate approval, then the president can make that appointment. But the appointment is only good until the next time the, new, the Senate starts a new term. Then... There has to be a vote on it. Now, what Obama did was because he wanted to appoint some far-left, basically communists, to the National Labor Relations Board, he uh, 
waited until the Senate was not meeting formally, but had not been declared not declared itself in recess. And he appointed two people, and that was challenged in court, and the Supreme Court ultimately ruled by an almost unanimous decision, by the way, that he couldn't do that. That it was only the Senate they could decide when they were in recess. And since the Senate had not declared itself to be in recess when these appointments were made, the appointments could not be done by the president on his own. Mitch McConnell is hopefully smart enough not to allow the Senate to go into recess. The Republicans won't vote to allow the Senate to go into recess as long as Obama's in office. But then something else comes up here, and that's the adjournment of the Senate that will take place. From the date of January 3rd to January 20th, Congress will not be in session. This will be after the election, about the time the new president is going to be taken office, and when the new Senate and new House of Representatives will be sworn in. So the Senate will be in adjournment, and liberals are already saying, well, the president can make his appointment then. No, because if you read the Constitution... The president is only allowed to make recess appointments if the opening for the appointment occurred during the recess. Now, the opening on the Supreme Court occurred a few weeks ago when Judge Scalia died. The Senate was not in recess, and so the president could not make the appointment then, and he could not make the appointment during the adjournment period, because obviously Scalia did not die during that period. So if that happens, then we have a clearly unconstitutional action by the President of the United States, which, of course, we know he's perfectly willing to do. But I think we would be able to stop it, because I think the, based on the precedent of the Supreme Court already, that they would not even divided as they are, would not go along with that type of appointment. So Republicans have a chance here to stop this president from taking control of the Supreme Court and basically destroying our Constitution and our constitutional rights. And ladies and gentlemen, you have to get on the phone or send a fax or send an email to your senator saying for your Republican senators need to hold the line here. They need to stand true to protect the Constitution and not to vote or not to even hold hearings on whether or not to vote in Garland. And then we have to make sure by doing whatever is necessary in the way of getting out the vote to make sure that the Republicans maintain control of the United States Senate and then we have a president of the United States who is a Republican who will appoint solid conservative constitutionalists to judgeships, and that includes the Supreme Court. If we don't do that, we are in grave danger of losing our Constitution. So you can contact your Senate, and of course we, at the United States Justice Foundation, we have uh, been involved for many, many years in providing testimony 
or at least written comments on Supreme Court nominees. We will be doing that here. And we will be urging the United States Senate not to take this matter up. So we're going to be doing our part. And we'll be stepping forward as we need to to try to prevent us from losing the Supreme Court permanently, or at least for a generation. So the upcoming election becomes even more and more important. We have to win. Right now, everything is pretty much in chaos. We have a bunch of conservatives supposedly going to meet tomorrow in Washington, D.C., conservative leaders, self-proclaimed conservative leaders, who are going to decide to try to mount a third-party candidate to run for president if Trump is a nominee. That's suicide for the Republican Party. That ensures that Hillary Clinton will be elected president of the United States. Unless, of course, she's indicted and is in jail, but that's not going to happen unless Obama sees that she's in very deep trouble and might not win the presidency or not be able to steal the presidency. Uh, then Obama might throw her under the bus by letting Loretta Lynch or ordering Loretta Lynch go ahead and indict Hillary, and then he can put forward somebody like Joe Biden, uh, his minion, to be the, the president of the United States on the Democratic side, on the Democratic ticket, and then make be elected president. But barring that, if Hillary Clinton's in office, we're done. And that is going to happen if a third-party candidate is put forward. Now, I don't know how my listeners feel about Donald Trump. I know that a lot of people who send me emails, a lot of good people out there, good conservatives, support Donald Trump. There's others that don't support Donald Trump. There's some that like Ted Cruz better, others that don't like Ted or don't think he can win. There are some Kasich supporters. And as the head of a 501c4 organization, I cannot endorse anybody for office. But I can't speak in on the issues. And I'm very concerned that the Republican establishment still doesn't get it. The elitists in the Republican Party think that they are entitled to choose the Republican candidate for president and that all the voters out there who vote in these primaries and go to these caucuses, what we think is just superfluous and meaningless. And they are about to, to change that, they think, to change us. Anyway, let's take our second break. We'll talk more in a minute. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. 
Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Yeah, the Republican establishment is trying to, doc, to stop Donald Trump from being the nominee, even if he's got the delegates that he needs to have. And if the majority of the Republican voters seem to want him to be the nominee, and that's the case. I mean, you got a lot of very angry Republicans out there, and they're voting in droves, and a lot of people... Democrats, former Reagan Democrats, and a lot of independents are coming to vote the Republican primaries where they're allowed to for Donald Trump because people, a lot of people, want an outsider to be president of the United States. Now, John Kasich and even Ted Cruz are hoping for a brokered convention, as it's called where essentially nobody will have the votes, the number of delegates, to win outright on the first ballot. Now, when that happens, what they do is the delegates then are allowed, and the RNC is saying these these delegate pledges don't mean anything. That's not true. That's a lie. They do mean something. A lot of them, you know, their state law, they mean something at least. But the delegates after the first vote, if no one is nominated by the required majority, then the delegates are free to change their votes. That becomes a contested convention. And I was at a contested convention. The last one was in 1976, when Gerald Ford was president of the United States, was running against Jimmy Carter, was going to be nominated to run against Jimmy Carter, and we tried to get Ronald Reagan the nomination. Now, you may have heard people in the news media, particularly Fox News, have talked about this a little bit. They said, oh, well, we lost by 117 votes. No, I was there. We lost by nine votes. We came within nine votes of nominating Ronald Reagan for president in 1976, in which case he would have beaten Jimmy Carter, we believe, you know, all history would have been completely altered. But that didn't happen. But that's a contested convention. 
Now, what some of the Republican elites are pushing for is a broker convention. And what that means is, is they would disregard the delegates entirely. And the Republican elite, the party leaders, would meet behind closed doors in a proverbial smoke-filled room, though that wouldn't be politically correct these days, and they will choose who the party nominee will be, despite the will of the Republican voters. <clears throat> now, Donald Trump said something today that, that was not very smart, probably, but a lot of things he says, he just comes right off the cuff, and he said, if he's denied the convention, <laughs> or denied the nomination, excuse me, even if he doesn't have enough votes to win outright, but has a clear, clear-cut majority over the other two candidates, that there would be riots. Well, I hope not. I don't think there would be riots, but there's going to be enough people angry at the Republican Party who are already angry, who basically are not going to go along with a brokered convention. And there will be people leaving the Republican Party in droves. That will assure that whoever is chosen by the party elite will lose. So we have that scenario, giving the election to Hillary Clinton. We have a scenario of a contested convention, possibly giving the presidency to Hillary Clinton. And we have the third party candidate possibility also giving Hillary Clinton the presidency. So what they have to do in the Republican Party is they have to hold a clean convention. And if the will of the voters clearly seems to be that Donald Trump should be the nominee, then Donald Trump should be the nominee. If it's Ted Cruz, it should be Ted Cruz. If it's John Kasich, it should be John Kasich. One of the things that is of some concern to the Cruz campaign is right now the rule, convention rule, which was set up Four years ago, three years ago, to help Mitt Romney to make sure that he was, since he was the establishment candidate, <laughs> excuse me, we got a lot of pollen in the air around here, and everybody's coughing and hacking all over the place, but uh, to ensure that Mitt Romney was the nominee first, but also, because but he already had the votes, but to make sure that it didn't look bad for him, like there were a lot of other people out there that were being nominated, they set up a rule, the RNC, that in order to be nominated from for President of the United States at the convention, you had to have won at least eight states with either primaries or caucus victories. That rule is still in effect, which means that the chances are that Kasich even if he picks up more votes, will not even be nominated or allowed to be nominated because he won't have eight states that he's won. Cruz will probably get eight states, but it's going to be close for him. In which case, if that rule is allowed to stand, then people who have voted for Cruz and won elected delegates for Cruz and for Kasich will be denied their opportunity to even be heard on the floor of the convention. That's going to look bad for the Republican Party. 
The elitists may want that, but the people of the party don't want that. So we're looking at a rather shaky situation when it comes to the Republican Convention becomes a nominee. But the one thing we have to have is a victory over Hillary Clinton. Now, she's gotten pretty good at sticking her foot in her mouth recently. She's always been pretty good at it, but lately her gas just uh, continued to grow. Of course, a lot of mainstream news media is not reporting it, although some of her gas have occurred uh, when she was being interviewed by members of the mainstream media. Her latest was, is apparently she's forgotten that Benghazi is a city in Libya. Because she was being interviewed by Chris Matthews on MSNBC, and of course getting a lot of good softball questions. And she said something about Libya was different from Syria, because in Libya, no American lives were lost. And she said this with a straight face, totally ignoring. Because I don't believe that she didn't remember. If she did, that, that not only questions her intelligence, but her mental stability. But I think she chose to just lie, even though most people would know she was lying, because there are a lot of people out there that believe anything, will believe anything she says. <laughs> Excuse me. So she ignored the death of Chris Stevens, U.S. ambassador to Libya, and three other brave Americans, all to push her campaign. Just a few days earlier, she had made a point of telling voters at a rally that she was going to put coal miners and the coal industry out of business. Now, that wasn't very smart when you consider states like West Virginia and Pennsylvania where there's a lot of coal mining going on. A lot of people's jobs are at stake. Why is she going to do that? Because she believes in Obama's climate change theory. That coal, the use of coal to create energy, to create electricity, is somehow destroying our climate and causing all the floods and all of everything that's happening. Well, it turns out that the climate change theory has fallen in disrepute by many, many scientists. Although if you come out and, and Obama has actually called for anybody who disagrees with climate change, any scientist, to be put in jail, and if you are a major liberal university and you come out and oppose the climate change theory and you will undoubtedly be fired from your position. So it's a political correct thing uh, to push for a belief in climate change. And Obama just, just made the announcement that he was going to not allow oil drilling in the Atlantic Ocean. He Prior to that, said that he was going to allow the drilling. Now he says he won't. And that was because the environmentalists didn't like it. Even though it's good for the American economy, it's good for jobs, it creates jobs, it's just like pipeline. He threw out the Keystone Pipeline. 
we have a candidate for president who will do the same things that Obama's doing, and she announced that right in front of the American public, that she's going to put people, cost people their jobs, cost people their livelihood, wipe out businesses, all for a theory that is meaningless, but politically correct. Hillary Clinton is a criminal. She's a career criminal, just like Obama's a career criminal. And what concerns me, as a constitutional lawyer, is why they continue to be able to get away with it. I drew up articles for impeachment over two years ago, articles of impeachment of Obama, and I made it clear that these articles were based on violations of the Constitution, violations of his oath of office, and in some cases, actual treasonous against the United States. I submitted these to Republicans in the House of Representatives. We found out later that at least one congressman had guts enough to forward it on to the House Judiciary Committee, which said they were looking into it. After that, it died. Many of you out there listening to this show and people from other organizations, conservative organizations, pushed to try to get these articles of impeachment to at least be voted on by the House Committee, at least be considered. Nothing happened. We've had nothing happened to Hillary Clinton as a result of the Benghazi investigation. That apparently has just been allowed to die by the Republican leadership in the House. We had nothing happen so far to Hillary Clinton about the email servers, even though what she, we had General Proteus have to plead guilty to a crime that was similar to what Hillary Clinton did, except not nearly of the magnitude of what Hillary Clinton did. Yet Hillary is not being prosecuted. She can't be impeached because she's currently not in office which I think is why she got out the, the Secretary of State when she did, so she could run the, for President of the United States and also dodge being impeached. Let's take our final break now. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. 
If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. You know, the question is why do we have a culture now in this country where our leaders can get away with committing criminal act on top of criminal act? Look at all the scandals out there. Benghazi. The President of the United States lied to the American people. The Secretary of State lied to the American people. Somebody ordered American soldiers to stand down and not to even go attempt to rescue Americans. We have a young student who's been sentenced to 15 years in prison in North Korea for apparently not committing any crime at all other than being an American. And the President of the United States, as far as I know, hadn't said a thing about it. Or was John Kerry. We adopted the Iran Treaty, which was unconstitutional because it was never ratified by the two-thirds of the United States Senate. And that was done because the Republican leadership in the House and the Senate basically acquiesced to allow the president to do something that not only violated the Constitution, but provided aid and comfort to one of our major enemies. Yet nothing has happened to anybody. We got freedom of the press issues where former Attorney General Eric Holder was actually having monitoring the phone calls of a reporter for Fox News and other reporters. We had the IRS scandal, where I, the IRS was caught flat-footed denying or delaying the approval of a tax-exempt status for conservative organizations or any organization that didn't completely agree with the Fuhrer, Obama's, plan for this country. Nothing happened. The congressional investigations in the House just basically went away. Nobody lost their jobs. Lois Lerner, who was in charge of the whole operation, took the Fifth Amendment and refused to testify before Congress. She was put on paid administrative leave for a year, which meant she was able to sit on her butt and draw her pay and benefits. And nothing happened to her. She was allowed to retire, full pay and benefits. Operation Fast and Furious. Nobody was ever prosecuted for that. American lives were again lost because of a corrupt 
administration in the White House. And then we have what's happened with the Veterans Administration. You need to go to my blogs at www.michaelconnelly, C-O-N-N-E-L-O-I dot com and read my latest article where I talk about more is entitled More VA Abuse of Veterans. Many of you have read my previous articles about the veterans being denied their Second Amendment rights and being put on the National Instant Criminal Background Checklist as being mentally defective to the point of being in danger themselves or others so they can't purchase firearms. They're being put on that list because they might have minor PTSD or have ever been depressed or because they allow their spouses to pay the family bills or even when they have their bills automatically paid uh, out of their bank accounts. They're declared incompetent by the VA to handle their own financial affairs, and that automatically puts them, according to the FBI, on the NICS list under the category of being mentally incompetent to the point of being in danger themselves or others. Even though there's been no adjudication as required by law, their constitutional right to due process is totally violated. If you read those articles, then this, this latest article will make you even more furious. The VA is allowing millions of dollars in veterans' benefits to be stolen directly from a veteran. Just recently, a few days ago, as a matter of fact, in San Antonio, Texas, a former nurse pled guilty to stealing $140,000 from VA beneficiaries, from veterans, while she was their fiduciary. Now, this is what this incompetence business is all about. What they do is if they declare a veteran incompetent, they appoint a fiduciary, I'm talking about the VA, a fiduciary to represent the veteran and handle their financial affairs. Well, that program's been around for a long time and was essentially originally a good program. It was designed to help veterans who might be elderly veterans who might be suffering from dementia or some other disability that required that they needed help, making sure their bills were paid on time and this sort of thing. And a fiduciary would be appointed. Usually that fiduciary was a member of the family. And this took care of people. Now the fiduciary program has become big business because the fiduciaries if all they do basically is write a couple of checks every month on behalf of the veteran, fiduciaries, however, are yet paid 5% of the veteran's benefits. Now that means if a veteran is getting $3,000 a month in benefits, the fiduciary is being paid $150 a month to help that one veteran. But what they've done is they have set up companies that do this. The VA appoints fiduciaries from those companies. And a lot of the people that work for those companies are former VA employees. So if you take $150 a month and you multiply that by a thousand, you're talking about significant money for these companies and for these individuals. That's without any theft. But then you put in the theft factor. And the Inspector General of the VA 
over the course of the last few years has been investigating the so-called fiduciary hubs that are set up by the VA. There are six of them nationwide. Indianapolis was the first one they investigated. That includes 13 states that they administer the fiduciary program for those 13 states. The Inspector General found out that almost $1 million in VA benefits had been stolen by workers in the program. Then they, had, they started, he started investigating the other hubs and came to a really unbelievable amount of $4.7 million total that had been stolen. We're talking about just in a couple of years they had been stolen from veterans. Was anybody fired for this? One or two people. Was anybody prosecuted? One or two people, just a handful. Nothing has really been done. The program continues unabated. Veterans continue to have their money stolen. They have be put on the fiduciary program for no reason whatsoever, which amounts to theft because five percent of their money is paid to the fiduciary. <clears throat> Most of the time these veterans don't need a fiduciary. So all this is under a program run by an organization, by a department that is supposed to be helping America's heroes. It's supposed to be working hard to provide our veterans the benefits they earn. They've earned. They're entitled to. And now, of course, the gun confiscation program is being expanded to go after senior citizens who are Social Security beneficiaries. Go read that blog article. Again, www.michaelconnelly.jigsy.com. While you're there, take a look at the books I've written. And if you'd like to order some or provide money to help support the blog, that'd be appreciated because I pay all blog expenses. The United States Justice Foundation does not pay any. We spend all of our money just about the Justice Foundation representing people who are losing their constitutional rights. So please go to the U.S. Justice Foundation, usjf.net, and donate, because we are spending our money to do what needs to be done for veterans. We never charge these veterans anything. By the way, one thing I have to brag about before I close out today is the fact that Judge Clarence Thomas, who is a conservative Supreme Court justice, who's basically trying to take the place of Antonin Scalia, has not in 10 years ever asked a question during an oral argument or ever made a comment during an oral argument from the court for 10 years until just a couple of weeks ago. He shocked everybody. He came out and he asked a question. It was a gun control case. He based that question on a brief that was filed by the United States Justice Foundation and Gun Owners of America. My name is on that brief. I didn't write it, but I reviewed it and I approved it. And our lawyers, William Olson, Verb Titus, that law firm in Virginia, wrote the brief on behalf of us and the GAO 
Joey, I mean, we're real proud of that because we're in there fighting for our freedom. But check out my website, go to usjf.net, and please encourage people to continue to listen to this show. Thank you for having me. I'll talk to you next week. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.